I got stuff I want to talk about, but, you know, I want to be pushy and all that. Well, that's where we're going. We're just doing the wonder bit. We're just doing the wonder bit today. We're doing, well, it's all together. It's only like 12 pages. We can do, well, hopefully we can do both. Well, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> well, my great nervousness, as I said upstairs to some of you, was the, um, for some of you, this is going to be, the excitability factor will be far more than you'll be able to stand here. I, I thought this was, and for a moment there, I was thinking he was giving, he was, he was, he was countenancing everything which I uh, terribly worry about. But, you know, you just have to go with what you've got. So, uh, one of the, let me just say by way of, it's always nice to bump into somebody who says um, what, you, what you think or what you believe, and then who says it, you know, in such a way that you've never thought about it before. You know, if you've ever been through the new members class, the first thing we say and the only thing we say is there's just a single story in Scripture, which is death and resurrection. And, um, you know, he would say that too. In fact, the, the, the death and resurrection is the predominant uh, bit here in about, you know, from 120 on. So, you know, what I was mildly worried about was this, uh, this bit at the bottom that starts at 120 and sort of goes um, through 130. Because this could be reinterpreted in the same way that people misinterpret Luther. You know, Luther, uh, you know, sort of the, the Reformation got going a bit and then... Um, People say, well, wasn't that a good thing uh, that Luther did, turned us all free to do whatever we wanted? And there is a sense, um, uh, you could read this, I'm, I fear, in the wrong way, which is, uh, if you kind of look at 120, these five things that he lists here, actually he's got them at the, actually go to the bottom of 122. <clears throat> normally, this isn't, <clears throat> this wouldn't be the things that we would say, we wouldn't normally say that these are the uh, things that we aspire to. Unpreparedness, the uselessness of experts, uh, marginal companions, uh, quiet out of the wayness, and fear. <laughs> I mean, if you're raising children, this isn't normally how you talk to them. Hey, doesn't matter if your science project is due today. Unpreparedness is one of the things we aspire to. You don't talk this way, do you? Or um, experts, hey, well, as I often say to members of my family who like to self-diagnose and then heal, I, I, I just I sometimes ask them where they got their medical degree. You know, did they? I didn't know that the internet offered those. And you know, the, I mean, what's the point of med school when you've got WebMD, right? There's no point in going. So I mean, this is true here. The, the, the uselessness of, and the prominence of marginal companions. Don't you say to your children, who are you going to be with? And maybe you shouldn't hang out with them. But then here's this guy saying, marginal companions would be good for you. You, should, you know what you need to do is make some more friends who are on the margins. Yes, that's right. Those sketchy characters. Quiet out of the wayness. Um, you see, because Oprah today is in Iowa. And you know, growing up in Iowa, I just have this image of what it must be like there today. Uh, you know, yesterday, Iowa was quiet and out of the way. And today it's the middle of the universe. I just wonder how that's working out for them. And then all these Iowans who are saying, oh, Oprah won't influence me at all. I will think for myself. And of course, you know what I think, that Oprah's the Antichrist, and that people have been listening to Oprah, and she's been doing all their thinking in America for the last 10 years. But suddenly today in Iowa, it's going to be different. They're going to stop today and think for themselves. Yeah, okay, sure they are. And then um, fear. Which, uh, you know, almost everything that goes wrong can be um, diagnosed as fear in some sense. And then the great, you know, the great thing that all fear is self-regarding. 
all fear of self. So here's this guy who encourages you toward being unprepared, forgetting about the experts, hanging around with sketchy folks, um, <laughs> being quiet and unpopular. Remember he said, he said one of the problems here is that our whole society is driven by popularity, by publicity. If you, I mean, just think about what would the world be like if there were no more reality shows? It would be better, yes. And then, um, the, you know, fear. Uh, those are normal things we don't aspire to. And yet these are the elements of wonder for him. So I guess um, we might want to just have that in context. Yes, please. You know, whenever I read or talk about the Sabbath, I'm always left with this aching to know, okay, so how do I keep the Sabbath? Tell me what to do or not to do. And this is the, reading this section, it's the first time that I have ended up without that, like, need to be told what to do. Because I feel like he so completely laid this foundation for what a Sabbath would look like that I don't have questions any longer about should I, should I or shouldn't I do the X, Y, and Z. You know what I'm saying? I think I know exactly what you're saying, so, but uh, so much so I don't even know what to do next. Let me first opine with you a bit, which is Lutherans have talked about vocation, vocation, vocation for the last 10 years, kind of this buzzword in Lutheranism. And every time I listen to somebody talk about Lutheran vocation, I always think that either they don't know what they're talking about or I don't know what they're talking about, and I don't even know what the answer is. They talk about Lutherans have this vocation, and we should have this vocation, and we should all have our vacation. Vocation, sorry. So let's all, we should have a vacation too, frankly, but we should all have this vocation and get out and live in your vocation. And then I'm always like, did I just miss what was going on? And I had exactly the same sense. Now, what I'm curious about, this was the last thing I was going to do, but it can be the first thing we're going to do. So what's the answer? Well, you said, you, I think you said, I got to the end of this, and I finally felt as if somebody had, somebody had sort of put it all out there, and I finally know what it's all about. Well, but the, the thing is, is if I answer that... <sighs> Why does the rabbi answer a question with it? <laughs> yes, if you answer this... If I answer that, it immediately becomes law to someone. <clears throat> that isn't helpful. So you've ta- you're taking the mystical right now of quietude. So you have the answer, but you refuse. But you refuse to share it with the rest of us. So you'll have yourself a merry little Christmas, and the rest of us will be. Adoring God, going from adoring and worshiping God in, 
as a relationship and fearing God to the sort of God is going to be my, you know, my chill pill or my kind of ace card right. in life. And I, I just think that the way he described wonder, I can completely understand how that could keep you from those sorts of By the end, by 1015, my goal is to force the answer out of you one way or another. <laughs> but right now I pause to, 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 to let you relax and, and, and grow unawares, and then we'll come back to you later. Go ahead. completely agree. I did, in fact, put the worst construction on it. <laughs> yes, it could be. Was this, was, now we'll save again. Let's see. 2017, we should have another. So this is sort of like the elliptical orbit. Let me go here, and then I'll come over to you. Go ahead, Beth Couts. I had some, oh, I'm sorry. That was, that was horrible, wasn't it? Tali, did you have something you want to say? And now I'll, come, I'll swing back around. No? No. I thought you did. Well, I was trying to watch out of the corner of my Go. Go ahead. Go ahead. And we'll come back to Beth when she's done with the cookie. Okay. Okay. All right. I, what I wanted to type out an experience about a month ago. Remember when we talked about the Humble Rock? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey, this, that's the wrong book. No. <laughs> 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 that's right. It is the same color cover. That's I right. You know, it's really impossible because I'm the center of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Many people tell me this, okay? But in Frank, also, many people tell me that too. <laughs> but I also think that I'm smarter than Oh, yeah, me too.
Hey, can I just tell you, this is where your path and mine are diverging. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, love Harry Potter. So, I was reading on the internet that J.K. Rowling announced that Dumbledore was gay. Completely crushed. Crushed. I was, I, 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 who, who is Dumbledore? Dumbledore's the headmaster. Oh, it's a fictional Don't you know? Hey, hey, you may be the better for it. Just stay, just keep sitting there, okay? Just keep he's, sitting there. Huh? Yeah, keep the wonder alive, exactly. That was more than we needed to know. All right, so go, so go, go straight to the point here about Dumbledore's. Give me, give me the big finish. Not in the act of doing it, just the way that they are. I mean, they're they're changed. 
and they're embarrassed. I have treated them badly. And and he and I thought about what if there what if people in my life had endured it and the suffering that they were go through. And it wasn't I I'm not like looking over to like you know, condoning it or thinking it's okay, but it really it really it was a spiritual experience, and I, I, I went back on that website, and I apologized to him. And I said, you know what, it's wrong of me to shame you. It's wrong of me to, I, I don't know how to explain it. I just, what I'm saying is, when he's talking about wonder, and how spiritual experience gets to us by places that we don't expect, I was given the gift of compassion to somebody There is an openness. Um, uh, I, I sort of sassed these in a, in a negative way just to see if I could get you going, and apparently it worked. So, um, but I do, there are positive ways in which each of these things can be spoken of. Here, let me go to Beth first. By the way, um, pay your garbage bill. It came in my mailbox last night, and who knows where it is now. I said the bill for, for I, I, I thought, well, the couch is, the, the Christian thing would be to, take it to your house, but I just put it back in the mail, so I have something to repent of on Sunday. No, I was just going to say, you know, what you spoke about, I never even had a thought about feeling the unsecurity, the unpopularity of fear. I, I feel like he was speaking to church people, and I think most people, like, if they're in the church or even in this room, they're not going to speak out. I mean, they want the best for their kids. They're not going to be careful of those things. Right. Know, Right. And I've been too busy doing church things to see the people that have come in my way to minister to those people. And what sort of church things got in your way? Meetings. Oh, <laughs> yes. That's right. If Actually, if we could take meetings off for the next 10 years, that would be okay I mean, with me. So that's right. Basically, but yet, yeah. I was just so focused on what I thought I had to do that I missed <clears> what you know, God had before me, and I just was even angry that that was in my if you, yeah, well, if you didn't read it in the wrong way, I'm very happy. I'm very happy. Uh, I'm very happy that, that we didn't. Let's see if we can. Let's just let's see if we can go um, look at 123 at the bottom. Um, so there are these sort of natural things that uh, there, there are ways to. I'm still going to come back to Gigi because I'm just so I'm so curious about this in a good way. I'm very curious in a good way. Um, you sort of read through this. Wonder is natural and spontaneous. When we're children, we're in a constant state of wonder. We stagger through each day, fondly looking, tasting words of wonders. Running was wondrous. Touch, taste, sound. We live in a world of wonders. Then, actually, the next paragraph. But gradually, a sense of wonder gets squeezed out of us. There are many reasons, but mostly the lessening of wonder takes place as we develop competence and gain mastery of ourselves and our environment. This is exactly what was said before. We think we get, we get smarter and better and have no need of anything else. Go to the next page then. And the second paragraph down. <coughs> Along the way, the primacy of God and his work in our lives gives way ever so slightly 
to the primacy of our work in God's kingdom. This is a brilliant analysis of religion in America, Christianity in America. And we begin thinking of ways, and this is just that we can use God in what we're doing. Last, last two years ago, the book, Jesus Christ as CEO, you know this book, for example, or all, these, all, all the seminars that come out about you can be happy, you can be successful, biblical. Even I chafe at the word biblical principle. I believe there's no such thing as a biblical principle. You, Lutherans say it all the time. They absorbed it from American evangelicalism. Biblical pr- principle is A, false, and B, pure law. Uh, as if there's some cause and effect, you do this and God will do that. The, the reason that's upside down is that God always makes the first move, and then he's standing there waiting. So he's already delivered his riches, he's already given mercy, he's already forgiven, he's already loved, he's already there, and you just wake up to it. So we begin thinking of ways that we can use God in what we're doing. The shift is barely perceptible. This is why it's so hard when we critique this. People say, regular to me, no, my friends who, are, who do this are very nice people. I'm not arguing that they're not very nice people. What I'm arguing is, is they've got Jesus standing on his head. The shift is barely perceptible. Because if you think about this, see, to use God means there can't be any, any more mystery. It has to be cause and effect, right? You do this and you get that. You know? I mean, that, that's how it works. Um, the shift is ver- barely perceptible, for we continue to use the vocabulary of our new identity. We continue to believe the identical truths. We continue to pursue good goals. It usually takes a long time for the significance of the shift to show up. This, frankly, you who have been around a while, is the history of the Luther Church Missouri Synod the last 30 years. This will be what will bring the Missouri Synod to ashes because we don't understand the shift. But when it does, it turns out that we have not so much been worshiping God as enlisting him as our trusted and valuable assistant. Very first commandment. We're God, he's not. Okay? That makes sense, right? Um, Go across the page if you can. Straight across the page. (coughs) What we also do is look for ways to affirm and cultivate our new life in Christ outside our workplace. As we soon find, quite to our delight, there's a lot to choose from. A huge religious marketplace has been set up in North America to meet the needs and fantasies of people just like us. There are conferences and gatherings custom designed to give us the lift we need. See, Sunday morning's not enough. The Eucharist isn't enough. Baptism isn't enough. Absolution isn't enough. What we need is a retreat center. Books and videos and seminars promise to let us in on the Christian secret of whatever we feel is lacking in our life. Financial security, well-behaved children, weight loss, exotic sex, travel to holy sites, exciting worship, celebrity teachers. The people who promote these goods and services all smile a lot and are good-looking. They are obviously not bored. It isn't long before we're standing in line to buy whatever's being offered, and because none of the purchases does what we hoped for, at least not for long, we're soon back to buy another and another. The process is addictive. We become consumers of packaged spiritualities. That's like, boom, that's us. Although I did take mild offense where he said we wouldn't get a plastic St. Christopher on our Pontiac dashboard. <laughs> I was thinking, now, if I had a Pontiac and a St. Christopher, he would be on my dashboard. So I was a little concerned about that. <laughs> 
Yeah, he's. Mm. Well, how many of you bury St. Joseph upside down in your backyard right now in the middle of the subprime housing mess? That's right. I've been there. I've seen his little toe sticking up. Yeah, yeah. Bottom of the page. This is idolatry. We never think of using this term. Uh, we never think of using this term for it since everything we're buying and paying for is defined by the adjective Christian. But it is idolatry nevertheless. God packaged as a product, God depersonalized and made available as a technique or a program. The Christian market and idols has never been more brisk or lucrative. Yes. That's all right. My mother-in-law, who is Catholic, and um, she's a very practicing Catholic, and um, she always talks down to me, like Sean and I are in deep trouble because we're not Catholic, and uh, we're not raising our children. And she's always in awe, like, oh, I didn't know your children knew that story in the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, the point is that she starts to talk about, and sometimes I, well, most times I have to hold my tongue, because it seems to me that... Catholicism, as far as she practices it, is very much like this. I mean, you know, she talks about, oh, um, Mother Teresa is going to become a saint, and somebody prayed to her to, to save, you know, save him from MS, and he was cured. And that was his, it was the first miracle. And I'm like, but so we're praying to Mother Teresa. Doesn't anybody see that as a problem? <coughs> I do, but I didn't say that. I just said, oh, okay, and walked away. <laughs> but you know, what I, you know what I mean? I mean, is that kind of what he's getting at? Like... I mean, she's constantly looking for things to be, like, amazed about instead of just being thankful and amazed at what we've already got. You know, that that God is, in his grace, already is completely unfathomable. Do you know what I mean? I do, I think. (laughs) Here's the thing. Um, I mean, is that kind of what he's saying, or am I... Yeah, it's not. It raises it, it, the, this kind of ugliness happens in all different in all different directions, and it's normally very subtle. But here, let's see if we can pull out what might be good and what might be challenging in that. Okay, first is, and I've given you this speech, but I'm not going to live long enough to see myself be righter and smarter than everybody else. Which is, denominations are dead. Okay, so just sort of put denominations on the shelf. They were an invention of modernity. Modernity is over. Another 100 years, it won't be denominations, maybe 200 years. But what you do, so in one sense, Lutheran, Catholic, that right. it doesn't make any difference. Right. What, what makes a difference, yeah, it does, but, yeah. you know, here's the thing. Because you have Lutherans who look like Catholics, who look like Baptists, and you have right. some, you know, I mean, yeah. so here's the thing. It's not the tag, but it is this notion of an incarnational life of wonder that you carry with you all the time. Right. Okay, so now here's the thing, and this is why I want to be extraordinarily careful here with this. Um, there's a way you can talk about, this going on tape, this ought to be good. Uh, there's a way you can talk about praying to Mother Teresa in a, in a completely Lutheran sense. It's kind of in the way that you say to Jen, well, it's, it's what we did upstairs. You said to me, let's pray for Emmy. Right. Okay. So there's a, there's a way of saying to Mother Teresa, will you pray for me? Right. It's very different than worship. It's like... It's, it's understood as the communion of saints, asking your friends to pray for you. 
Now, the Lutheran glitch has always been, we don't really know if they can hear us. And so, you know, you might not want to put a whole bunch of stock in that, okay? And I know the other Lutheran glitches are legion. It can go wrong in a bunch of ways. It's a good work, and you get focus off Jesus, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to put the best construction on it. So there is a way. It's no different in one sense than saying, Jen, will you pray for me? Or you're saying to me, will you pray for Emmy? <clears throat> and the next thing is that things do happen. You know, things do happen. But it is the scornful way of sort of saying, you know, you haven't got this, or I know more than you. This is almost never productive. It's almost never productive. So take what you can get, and then, you know, leave the rest behind. But I do think, I do think the happiness of this, and frankly, one thing Catholicism has over American evangelicalism, and Lutherans should probably tilt this way in that, in that direction, is this notion of incarnational wonder that Jesus permeates the universe when he comes at Christmas, and everything is a new thing. And frankly, that's the way that he says that you get out of this mess. I mean, if I, you know, my gloss on this reading is you basically keep the incarnation in front of you all the time. You keep the death and resurrection of Jesus in front of you all the time, and the world looks like a different place. That's the goggles, faith goggles, that you look through the world, right? You look through the world through this, and everything is a different thing. And when you no longer think the death and resurrection is primary, and you think what you know or what you see or what you do is primary, and what you do and call Christianity to, to advance yourself, to make yourself rich, to make yourself smart, to make yourself successful, to make yourself anything. And so God is just sort of your, it's like that guy who, who holds the umbrella for P. Diddy. That's what guy, God is kind of like for you. What's that guy's name? You would, you'd be the only one in here who would know his name. What's his name? Okay, hold who holds Petey's umbrella? Oh, never mind, never mind. Uh, Petey, Petey. You know, you know what his name is? Oh, because I thought you were a big Diddy fan. Okay, go ahead. Perfect. allow the mystery to unfold. 
that's, that's so hard to do because it's so against, especially in North America, it's so against what we have. So I have a question for you at the bottom. I want to, that's a great thing. Now hold on to that and go to the bottom of 126. So <clears throat> I want to see, and I'm still going to come back to you because I still want to hear what you got to say, if you'll say it. Um, how do you put that together? I think you're right, but I want to see now in this context, how do you put that together with the last line? This is why Christian formation, which is just the way people talk about growing up to be a Christian, right? This is why Christian formation demands endless vigilance. So my first question would be, how do mystery and vigilance fit together? Now, first we might hear that as not fitting together, but I think they do. So let's just kind of... Good, okay. So hold on to that, because I think that's going to be the answer. Okay, so let's see if you can... But, so hold on, to what, hold on to what you want to say a little bit. Let's read a little bit, and then we'll come back, okay? This is why Christian formation demands endless vigilance. Now, you wouldn't think that vigilance, at least on the face of it, you, vigilance normally, if you're going to say, you know, if you're taking the SAT, and what's the opposite of vigilance? <clears throat> Unpreparedness, mystery. Um, sorry? Well, I, was, I was trying to think of the other five that he said. He said being unprepared, mysterious, marginalized, um, quiet, and fearful, Right? Normally, vigilance, normally how I hear, I would hear vigilance just normally would exclude those things. It would eliminate mystery. It would eliminate fear. You're vigilant. I mean, think how people talk about the, about terrorists. If we're vigilant, then we don't have to be so, right? Okay, so the workplace is the arena in which idolatry is constantly being reconfigured by putting us in the position of control and giving us things and systems that enable us to exercise our skills and carry out strategies in the world. Wonder. That astonished willingness to stop what we're doing, to stand still, open-eyed and open-handed. St. Augustine, the stance of faith is with open hands, so God fills, right? Which is what, That's why the pastor opens his hands at the altar, to empty them and to be receiving. That's why the classic prayer of, of a collect is like this. You open your hands, you have nothing in them, so you drop everything and allow them to be filled, right? Wonder, that astonishing willingness to stop what we're doing, to stand still, open-eyed and open-handed, ready to take in what is more and other is not encouraged in the workplace. Okay, now go down two paragraphs. <clears throat> Here's the striking thing. The opening scene in the resurrection of Jesus occurs in the workplace. Mary and the other women were on their way to work when they encountered and embraced the resurrection of Jesus. I'm prepared to contend that the primary location, this is fascinating, spiritual formation is in the workplace. So how do we who work for a living and spend such a huge chunk of our time each week in a workplace that is unfriendly to wonder, cultivate wonder, the resurrection wonder, in which spiritual formation thrives? How do we do that? How do you go to work and still hold on? Okay. Um, <clears throat> since I want to observe the uh, quarter after rule, um, Go to the top of 128, okay? <coughs> Excuse me. I'll give you the answer in advance. You do what the Lord asks you to do no matter what. It's not far-fetched to imagine, three paragraphs down, it's not far-fetched to imagine Jesus' friends and followers spending the 24 hours of Jesus' Sabbath rest in the tomb, also resting. Now, I just want to ask you a question. American funerals. You all had funerals in your family? American funerals? It's anything but resting. We eat, we visit, we rush, we buy, we make things perfect, we 
primp some flowers. We've got to remember to put something in the casket. We've got to meet people, get it into the newspaper. There's a deadline. Call the church. Make sure that the potato salad's here. We've got to get out there. There's the whole uh, get the headstone. It is 24, 48 hours or 72 hours of chaos at an American funeral. Okay? It is everything. And, and the hardest thing for a pastor is to worry about people when that's over because what happens is there's all this chaos that keeps you really busy so you don't think and you don't grieve and you don't engage. And then all your friends go home and you're left alone. And it all comes crashing in. Okay? As opposed to they did what the Lord told them, which was to rest. Okay? Remembering and observing. The entire city was keeping Sabbath. They would also be keeping it. Okay, now he sort of scooched down and he talks about it wasn't really that they didn't go to the tent. Now just this is and I think this is the payoff, the bottom, one twenty of it. I'm imagining what effect a lifetime of keeping Sabbath had on those women as they returned to their homes at the close of the Sabbath and rose the next morning, the first day of the week, and set out for work to embalm Jesus' body. Okay, that's the answer. It is beyond belief that in the throes of their devastation, there would also be a deeply developed instinct for God in them a capacity to respond in wonder to the mysteries that were beyond them, a readiness to be surprised by what they did not understand and could not anticipate. See? Their Sabbath-keeping was weekly house-cleaning. The day after keeping Sabbath, they entered the work week uncluttered with idols. All those subtle but obsessive attempts that daily get tracked into kitchens from off the street to serve as a god or a routine or a program that can be handled and used. Sabbath-keeping provided a detachment from the world's way of doing things and from their own compulsions to take things into their own hands. So imagine you're these women, these disciples. You think this is the Christ. Think about the Emmaus Road story, how, how shattered they were. Remember how shattered they were? The Emmaus Road is probably Jesus' uncle and his cousin. Okay, And they're shattered. I mean, they, they just, they're so shattered they can't recognize them, they can't talk, and yet they keep the Sabbath. They don't try to help themselves. They just do what the Lord has told them to do. And what happens is, by keeping the Sabbath, by doing exactly what they're told over and over again, there is this cumulative effect that when tragedy comes, they still have all the things that have been given to them. Wonder and a sense of servitude, you know, and, and a, a sense that they don't have to get everything right because God will get it right, and they don't have to be bigger than the event because God's bigger than the event. And then their lives work out okay. Keeping Sabbath, a day of studied and vows resistant to doing any works so they could be free to see and respond to God, who is, I'm sorry, to who is God and what he's doing was basic in the lives of the women and men who found Jesus alive the first day of the week. The capacity to see God working in our place in creation, our workplace, and to respond in resurrection wonder requires detachment from the workplace. This means you can never say to me again, when I say, why weren't you in church, then you say, I had an interview, or I got called into work, or I was too busy, or we had a soccer game. You just can't say that, because if you, if you say that, you're not unattached from the world. Then your world... Um, is bigger. Claire has a 
as applied to Georgetown, and so a woman called her for an interview, and her, she has to go into Chicago and interview, and the woman scheduled the interview at 10 a.m. Sunday morning. She had a fascinating discussion about the fact that she's easy. That's a familial uh, bias right there. Yes, it is. They're Jesuits there, you know. Yes. This week I was told that social justice in Georgetown is distinguished by whether or not they chill their salad forks. That was Boucher. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but I was, I, it should be an interesting conversation. He says, what does your father do? Claire's answer should be, well, he's a, he's a, she, yeah, I told, I told her too. I, well, we already had this discussion this morning. But the answer, will be, well, he'll be at the, at the Eucharist right now. What are you doing? You went to Georgetown, a Catholic university, right? So, I mean, see, this is the way. So, so the answer is, the answer is how to keep one in your life. The answer is come to church. Not a goofy answer? That's the answer. You kind of confused me here at the end because I had an epiphany a couple weeks ago about work and the Sabbath being two parts of a whole. <clears throat> like to me, we're, we're always used to set, like I always thought of my tax work as being some other thing apart from my church life. Right. And I, I came to this thing where, wow, it's really part of, I'm part of God's creation and what I happen to do here on earth among other things is do taxes for a living. And it just seemed to be more, I don't know, relevant is not the word, but it seemed to be like, hey, what I do is useful when it's seen in context of this Sabbath work family life, like one big whole, a part of God's, that God intended me to work here in all those ways. So I started thinking of my job in a much I don't, kinder light or a part, of, a part of this whole piece. And now he's confusing me because I, I was like, oh, boy, that's really cool that now I can see that work as something, part of being a Christian, too, even though it's not really Christian, he's doing taxes. But um, now he's saying it requires detachment. And I, maybe, I, I guess, now I'm confused. Detachment? I don't want to be detached from my workplace. I want to see it as two or three pieces that all combine to make God's child here on earth, I guess. You know, that it's part of this cycle that I do, and they're all interwoven. Right. Rather than where I sort of separate the pieces. I think, I think that's what he's saying. I think you're right. That's what you're saying. I don't, th- I don't th- actually think you misunderstand. Detachment just means that it doesn't, it's not first. If you sometime go back and read 125 where he says, these, there are people who say suddenly, oh, I just want my life to mean something, so maybe I'll quit my dead-end job and go work in the church. I have one person a week who comes to me and says, I think I'll just, I got, my life has to mean something, uh, or you go to seminary. You, you know, I think I'll just, it's completely the wrong reason, because you're saying, I want my life to mean something, so I guess I'll go do this. I'll serve people where I want to on my own terms, the people I want to serve, and I'll get paid for that. So I think I should go do this, and I think this is the Lord's will. When you get that many eyes in a sentence, it absolutely positively has to be wrong. But I started to think, hey, maybe it's God's will that I text and help people yeah, out there. It is. And <laughs> Look, everybody has their... No, I don't mean God's will, but I mean... It. I well, you're helping me out. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. It's God's will that I cleaned our house, but... That would help me out. Yes, I think you are on to something here. No, I started thinking of everyone's life is different and how yes. even my tax work is more meaningful if I keep the sale. Yes. As part of the Yes. Yeah. The, look, the world is a wonderful place, and people have all different kil- skills and talents, and the reason your work matters is that it makes the world a better place for people. 
I mean, without you, how are people going to cheat on their taxes? I mean, they just, you know. Yes, exactly. And it's when your skills, though, are brought into your service. And this is where Luther, Luther is so brilliant. Because if it's for God and your neighbor, then it's all okay. But partly the, the reason he's good is he's fleshed it out. He said, okay, what does it mean to be for God and your neighbor? It means that you first come to the Sabbath, the great mystery of the Eucharist, and then you carry that mystery into your life. What does mystery look like? It looks like learning from people who you wouldn't normally learn from. It means loving people you wouldn't normally love. It means thinking that you don't have all the answers. It means that everything doesn't have to be so anal retentively put together and taped down and nailed because the Lord you know, will sort it all out. So go have some fun today. Do your work. And then on Sunday, don't do your work. Let him do work for you. But through the week, if you get that upside down where God is not, the, the work that God, this is the screwy part. The work that God chooses to do for you is to incarnate and to put his incarnation into you in the Eucharist, to forgive your sins and send you out in the world. And then we say, you know, that incarnation thing, that's all good. But what I would really like to have is a million bucks, right? So I, what I would really like to do is figure out a way that, you know, yeah, you just, and suddenly, as soon as you start to say, I, 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 then you completely mess it up. So here's the thing. The Sabbath completely reorients that to you. And when you stop coming to the Sabbath, your natural sinful orientation takes back over. It's like those, did you used to get these for Christmas, that thing you put the fish wine in, you, geo, what do you call those things? A gyroscope. It's like a gyroscope. When you spin a gyroscope and it goes, but you have to keep spinning it. And why do they become less important? Because they're all about you. Because it's you. It's, yes, it's because you're suddenly against the cosmos. You have your own mini little cosmos. But you can, you can feel free because the first thing is mystery. You can be um, free not to explain it, although the unpreparedness thing we really should talk about. Okay. Yes, please. Well, in the greater conference, like you know, seeing beauty in your work or in the culture. Right. I think the problem is, is that everybody's eyes are crossed right now, and they just wonder what the heck we're doing. But let me just let me just tell you. Um, this morning, um, Gainig showed the eighth graders. Have you seen Blood Diamond, the movie? This movie, Blood Diamond, at the end where the boy turns on his father, and the boy loves him to keep him from killing him. I mean, he showed this scene to these. Have you seen it? Has anybody seen it? Okay. I mean, he showed this scene to the eighth grade kids today as, a, as what absolution is. And they're riveted by this. And then he, that's what it is, you see. It's like, it's, like, it's like, you know, your husband's Johnny Cash videos. I mean, the first time I saw that, I was stunned by that. The, one, the first one I well, I watched two in a row, which was probably bad, too, because it was more than I could do, but... The hurt thing and then the guy with the one arm going to the Eucharist? I mean, what do you do with that? So the ability to see that in the world, yeah, but the problem is, is see, we're not used to seeing it that way, so then people don't think it's valuable and they can't quite figure out what's going on. The whole point of this is that beauty is beyond us. If you really buy the notion that God is beauty, then beauty is beyond us. And so it just offers glimpses into what God is like and, frankly, what we can be like. And we're not used to saying that, especially, uh, you know, Lutherans aren't, I wouldn't say propositional, but um, doctrinal in a sense that 
almost doctrinally dead in some ways. That they just, as long as they recite the same thing over and over again the same way that somebody else said it 200 years ago, it's probably okay. The problem, of course, is that the people 200 years ago were very creative and very interested, and we're saying it in a new way. And it's fear that keeps you from saying it in your own new way now, you see. So if you start to actually, one of the great things about this chapter is he parses five things where we get it wrong. When you lose mystery, when you always have to have everything nailed down, preparedness, when you no longer, when you, when you live in fear, and so you have to eliminate fear, or fear where he said fear is without the scary element. That was a brilliant definition of what, what God-pleasing fear is. It's fear without the scary element. I can't control it. It's bigger than I am. Ooh, that's going to be different. I wonder if that's going to hurt, right? But it's not going to kill me. I had an email this morning. This will be the last thing. I know you're trying to keep the time. I had an email this morning from somebody about the philosophical question of whether God does evil. And I said, God does no evil. And then they wrote back and said, what about Job? And then I wrote back and said, doubtless you'll quote to me where the Lord kills his children. I'm shortening the story. His children are killed, you know, in a storm. But God sends a storm or allows a storm. Say it however you want. The strongest way is to say that God kills his children. And when God kills his children, it must be good because whatever God does is good. Okay. Now, if you've just lost a child, it's extraordinarily difficult to say that. It's not the thing you'd say to the Flaherty's today after you know they've just lost this very dear child. However, five or ten years down the road, when you can say what God does is always good, even my own death or the death of those I love, it's not how you naturally experience it, but eventually when you come to that, it's the only way you're reconciled to it because then you understand that God is completely for you and never against you, and everything he does is... Is, is, is for your, for your grace, for your, for your benefit, for your love. And that's what he's talking about. And when you don't keep the Sabbath, you deny that. Not keeping the Sabbath is the most basic idolatry. I've come to the point where I don't think you can be a Christian if you're not in church every week. Honest to God, people who come once a month or once a year, I don't know. I don't know. Because you can't resist the pull of the world. You can't resist it. You cannot. The world is too difficult. You cannot, and it's subtle, and suddenly you just, it's like the Philistines, that great King James passage where the Philistines, it says, woke up and found themselves dead, you know? There's this place where Israel attacks, and the King James says, and they woke up and they found themselves dead. That's exactly, that's exactly what it's like. That's for, that's for people who don't come to church every week. So, and, but that's not, is that a law word or a gospel word? Well, it's meant as a gospel word because this is where the Lord's going to reorient you and send you out. Is it a law word? Well, if you don't come, everything is the law. I mean, if you're anti, if, you're, if you have an idol, every, every bit of God is, is the law to you. There is no gospel in God if you have another God. So it's very difficult.